Welcome to EdMed Talks. I'm Dr. Adam DeVico, an educator. And I'm Dr. Jacqueline DeVico, a pediatrician. And we're your husband-wife duo for all things parenting. All right, Jack, I gotta admit, of all of our episodes, I think today is my favorite title, <laughs> Potty Problems. And I'll say that this was largely Jacqueline's uh, idea to have this episode. And when she said potty problems, I was like, all right, I can't say no to that. Aww, you gave so, me credit for the title. Thank you. Absolutely. You deserve it. Uh, so why were you so interested in potty problems? Well, it's one of those topics that, one, I think is so much more common Does it than stink? parents really <laughs> All right, that's my one joke but for now. It's going to continue, by the way. There, I'm sure there, there more be, dad jokes are going to continue. There will be more dad and potty jokes coming. There's yes. another one. You're welcome. But it's something that I tend to see and talk about nearly every day in a variety of ages. And I think it's something that you actually do see in schools, too, because, you know, when children have problems going to the bathroom, have access, you know, it happens in school oh, as well abs- it can be absolutely. you know so so i think it's something that really does cross over between both education and healthcare. so i think that's why mm-hmm. i wanted to talk about it today yeah absolutely uh i have been in many situations and by been in i mean i observe them because uh i'm just not a good potty situation fixer and so I, <laughs> there are many people in the front office who are much more <laughs> comfortable with that stuff than I am, but I am very versed in it nonetheless. So someone in the front office staff, his title is potty situation fixer. So, all right, <laughs> let me give you, let me, if you're not an educator listening, let me give you the dynamics of a general school. Most schools are are understaffed. I mean, I'm sure that comes to no surprise to the underfunding uh, of schools. But as a result, it's not like we have a social worker five days a week or a nurse five days a week. Some schools do, yes. Uh, but I know in most of the schools that I have worked in over the past 20 years, we don't have like, and I don't even know whose job it officially would be, but I guess the nurse comes to mind, but it's not like we have a nurse. I don't know. Yeah, a nurse would not be the first right, so job to come to my I, mind. I guess the bottom line is it's no one's official job title, but... I don't know, it usually ends up falling on someone in the front office, a secretary or a nurse or uh, sometimes a teacher assistant. So not an official job title. But I know you've got a book that you really like. uh, And feel free to share some thoughts about why you like that so much. Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics often has book recommendations with varying, you know, titles, pediatric topics. Some are made more specifically for a doctor audience, but a whole bunch of books that are geared towards parents. And one they have is called Waking Up Dry uh, by Howard Bennett. And it's a guide that kind of helps children overcome, this is a bedwetting book. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the toileting issues that I really do try to ask at most well-child checks, you know, given the age of the patient, um, is about nighttime accidents. Because while, yes, some children, when they are toilet trained, which on average happens between two and a half three years um boys are on average about two-ish months later than girls shocking i know um uh but it absolutely can be over three years uh both of our boys actually i'm not sure if you remember this adam but both of ours were a little over three years um when it happened um but um some children when they are continent which means they hold their pee and their poop uh, during the day, they achieve nighttime continence, which means not wetting the bed at night, pretty 
quickly or shortly thereafter. Some children, it takes years and years. And um, you have, you know, even in five-year-olds, about 20% still wet the bed at night, even up to about 5% of 10-year-olds. And so this is not something that is super rare. And it's something, as a pediatrician, I can actually give some strategies or talk through some things to help. Yeah, I guess as a parent, you kind of feel alone. This is not one of those, like, everyone talk about it in the circle type things. And certainly kids aren't going to be, you know, fessing up to it that they wet the bed. So I can imagine how parents would feel very much isolated in this type of issue. But those statistics certainly speak otherwise and uh, share that it's not as uncommon as you would think. Oh, and, you know, and what I like to do is really ask the parent, how much does this bother the child? And what tends to happen is when a child is in, you know, early elementary school, I don't even, honestly, I don't even usually document it in the pediatrics chart, the patient's chart until they're at least like seven or eight years old. Um, that's when it starts to become the realm of, okay, this might be outside of the kind of, I'll call it average age that a Mm -hmm. child becomes dry at night and that's around the age where a child wants to do something about it and i will tell you that's probably the biggest driver of change is does Mm -hmm. the child want to do anything about it well and from the school perspective i think a lot of that desire to change happens when people start commenting yes well that's terrible because you're talking about daytime so well, this yeah, talking yeah, about nighttime so those true. numbers that's that i true. gave were wetting the bed at night that's this true. is not this is talking about um urinating yourself during the okay day. that's true uh but i guess you know to transition to the daytime accidents a lot of that is going to change when people start commenting mm-hmm. and i'll say by and large kindergarten kindergartners are kind of oblivious to it uh-huh I mean, there there were very few weeks, especially early on in the year. I, I, to no surprise, it gets better as the year goes on. But in those early weeks of school, it is not a surprise to have a kid wet their pants um, each day, mm-hmm. um, you know, if at least once a week mm-hmm. uh, across kindergarten. <laughs> and I'm sure my kindergarten teachers can give much more uh, detailed stories about that. But it's it's not uncommon at all, which is why, hey, if you have a kindergarten student and they are prone to accidents, please pack uh, extra pairs of clothes in their book bag because I'll tell you what, and I'm speaking from personal experience, we run out of clothes, very extra clothes very quickly at school and mostly in those younger age mm-hmm. yeah, clothes, those like size five, size six clothes. Like we run out quick, uh, especially, again, you mentioned boys, especially with the boys. Like we run out of under underwear as well, mm-hmm. underwear and pants, extra layers. We run out of quick. So man, pack those extra um, clothes. And if you have, if you want to be kind of a goodwill steward, go ahead and donate extra pairs of clothes to your child's school because they need them. Yes. But I mean, it sounds like especially early in the year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when it comes to, let's say, kind of to go back to the nighttime bedwetting, if a child, um, starts to be bothered by you know really says hey i want to want to change this you know i really encourage parents talk to their pediatrician um number one when it comes to any type of wetting themselves during the day night or having stooling accidents the first thing i always talk to parents about is constipation that is one of those things that the immediate, often the parent will go, oh, well, I don't think my child's constipated. And I will tell you, 
if your child has any type of accidents outside the realm of norm, you know, where they're having multiple accidents at school, you know, outside the early kindergarten, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. or um, even even bedwetting in some of those older ages, I tell parents we have to 100% rule out constipation before doing anything else. And I will tell you, I've seen time and time ch- children get referred to specialists. They get kind of uncomfortable dye studies of their kidneys done or imaging studies or blood work and all these things all for it to lead back to constipation and so one of my strategies with families is listen we have to 100 percent take constipation off of the table and so you know i tell parents you're probably not going to the bathroom when your child poops right and so your child say, oh i'm pooping everything's normal everything's fine if so one they really really need to be pooping soft stools every single day they shouldn't be spending hours in the bathroom or significant amount of time on the toilet their poop shouldn't be large or hard or cracking or hard balls stuck together it should be like really you know kind of smooth and snake-like or softer than that i think i think we've mentioned this before (laughs) in an earlier episode but jacqueline has this like special low-key skill of identifying poop and I think she has taught our boys also to identify their poop. And so it is not uncommon for them to like be able to explain their poop to Jacqueline. And it's mildly entertaining and impressive all at the same time. Yes. Well, they know the first, if they tell me they have a stomach ache, the first mm-hmm. thing I'm going to ask is, when did you poop? Yep. Every time. Yeah. And constipation, especially, I'm going to call it the traditional, and I'm using air quotes, American diet. You know, where you have a lot of carbohydrates, a lot of processed foods, not enough water drinking, not enough fresh fruits and vegetables, not enough fiber containing foods, it leads to constipation. Um, So while, uh, you know, more physical activity and diet change can help the underlying cause, often that's just not enough, especially when a child has been constipated for months and months or years and years. Because what happens is that poop gets kind of packed in there. It stretches out your intestines. And your intestines are muscle. People forget about that. It's smooth yeah. muscle, so you can't control your intestines, but it is muscle. And so often I tell parents, think of years of constipation, even months of constipation, as a muscle injury. And so if you have like a muscle injury, like a shoulder injury, you can't start lifting or you know exercising it the way you do when you have no injury you have to start with really simple movements really light weights and the way to do that in constipated kids is extra soft poop yeah uh i you are obviously the expert in this one uh but yeah i mean the constipation thing we we kind of experienced in our own house i mean our younger son has a lot of constipation and Mm -hmm. you're always giving him tricks what are some of those like uh, if your kid has constipation, try X, Y, Z kind of things. So um, I will tell you, so if you are, depends on the age. So if it's babies first starting, I usually like to try um, the pea fruits, pears, peaches, prunes. Um, wild juice has a lot of added sugar and it's not that much healthier for kids and soda. Fruit juices, especially prune or pear juice. And I recommend pear if your child doesn't drink prune. It'll work a little bit better than apple juice. And it is so sweet. I cannot imagine a kid not liking it the way a lot of toddlers and above don't like prune juice. Um, once uh, you get kind of beyond that point, 
once you move beyond that part, um, if a child's old enough to do extra fiber, um, you can dissolve like fiber like Metamucil in water or um, four and above can do the fiber gummies, which is what we'll often do with our yep. son Maddox. And I found, you know, tried a bunch of different brands. Some of them taste better than others. Um, but truthfully, my favorite, you know, once you get past the medications and add an extra fiber, my by far by far by far my favorite constipation treatment is Miralax regular plain old Miralax you can buy it it's over the counter you can get gigantic tubs of it for pretty reasonable it's the same for kids and adults it tastes the best of everything we've tried unless a child wants to swallow pills it it tastes the best out of everything yes you can taste it a little when it's dissolved in water our son seems to really be able to taste it when it's dissolved yeah, in water yeah. but if you mix it with anything that has a flavor it's difficult for most kids to really taste it and i always tell parents it works if you use enough of it it always works and the molecule of Miralax, the polyethylene glycol, it is not technically absorbed in your body. What do I mean by that? That molecule is so big that it travels through your body, through your stomach, through your intestines, and you poop it out. Huh. Well, there you go. I just learned something new as well about Miralax and, and other fun things to fix constipation. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of if, you know, I call it the dietary changes, if adding this extra fruits, adding extra fiber doesn't work. Or if a child's been dealing this with a while, I talk to your pediatrician about, truthfully, a Miralax regimen is probably my favorite. Yes, there are, there are other medications that exist, but it's funny. Kids, we often try things. We almost always come back to Miralax. And truthfully, I mean, kids who've had months and months of constipation, they need enough Miralax each day. And I always remind parents, you can't overdose on it to keep their poops really soft and for months and months to help retrain those, uh, retrain the intestines to be nice and soft again. Yeah. Let me go on the opposite end. So I'm going to tell you all the craziest story I had as a teacher. And this is a long time ago. I mean, we're talking probably almost 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, I was teaching fifth grade. And I had a kid who would literally just be, we'd be learning. I'd be teaching. And he'd poop his pants. Like, no no reason to my knowledge just he would just poop and when it's, this first started happening like i'd be able to smell it and it'd be a soft gentle like hey go 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 down to the office go go get changed and all that well it got to the point where this was happening every day and i couldn't smell it anymore <laughs> and so i had the true story i had to go to my to my neighbor like the classroom next to me and be like, hey, you can do a little sniff check for me. <laughs> and so my my teammate would come by and give like a little sniff check. And she'd give me like a thumbs up or thumbs down. And she'd just go right back to her room. And uh, and that would be my indicator because I, I literally couldn't even smell it anymore. It happened so frequently. But I tell you this, I share this because like the kids were starting to notice. And I mean... Fifth graders in general kind of stink. I mean, they just, their body odor is pretty rank, especially in the warm weather and after recess. But like, kid pooping his pants probably has a pretty distinct smell. And so like, this was happening. And I mean, all joking aside, there was some concern. Like, why is he doing it? And so you know, I met with the parent. We met, my principal joined in. Like, 
this kid had free reign to go to bed. Like, he didn't have to ask. He didn't have to say anything. Like, it, literally, just go. Like, if you thought you had to even try, just go. And so we tried some other things, and, like, I would make him go at certain points. Like, I, we'd have, like, a timer, and he'd have to go at certain points in the day uh, just to try. And then uh, I, I team taught, so there was another teacher that I shared students with. And so when he went over there, we had to do the same thing because he would poop in his class, too. And, and so this was, that, that was probably the most extreme I ever had. I had the occasional accident, yes, but I never had a kid that would poop every day and it would never bothered him. I think that was the craziest thing. Like he never, you know, it was never bothered by it. And kids are so used to something, it's their normal. And so that's why you can't ask a child, is your poop normal? The answer is always going to be yes, because it's normal for them. But if I hear a story like that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, a bigger workup than just dealing with the school. I mean, that please, please talk with your doctor. Um, yeah, there potentially yeah. could be a neurologic problem. Yep. There could be um, pelvic floor issues where there are actually therapies that can help. There are um, there are many different strategies medications, treatments for children that have, um, we call it daytime, it's uh, encoparesis is the, okay. the term for that. Um, but I will say the most common potty problem that mm-hmm. I hear about is, especially in kids, you know, once you're getting to that fourth and fifth grade is yeah. going to be the nighttime bedwetting yeah, or yeah, the nocturnal sure. enuresis is the medical term. Using fancy stuff on us here. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. I mean, the bedwetting is probably going to be the one that is going to pop up the most. Uh, but yeah, I, as a parent, I, I hope that you're kind of hearing that you're not alone in it if your child does you know, face this, uh, communicating though with children, uh, you know, about this, having that open dialogue is really important. Just being open-minded and looking for a solution together, especially if you have a child that's, you know, getting up there in age, the upper elementary school, they are certainly going to acknowledge that this happens. They can't not. And so having honest, open dialogue is really important and involve them in the, in the, solution in the problem solving and see what they suggest yeah and please talk with your pediatrician you know once a child is old enough to recognize hey i don't want to do this anymore there are strategies um adding extra water earlier in the day kind of in the morning kind of stretch out that bladder make a bigger bladder size uh double double voiding we call it before bed so like peeing then doing your bedtime routine, then kind of going to the bathroom, peeing again. There are nighttime alarms that mm-hmm. can kind of help your child recognize that they're wet. There are medications that exist too. Um, the most common one is going to be an inhaled nasal hormone um, called vasopressin. Vasopressin is the hormone from your brain that allows your kidneys to and bladder to communicate with your brain, letting you know, hey, you have to go to the bathroom. And this hormone kind of matures as people get older, and sometimes it just matures later in some kids. Um, I tell my patients I'm generally not a huge fan of doing kind of inhaled hormone on a regular basis for something that's not harming them. Bedwetting's not harming a child. Right. However, if, let's say, there was a sleepaway camp or a fifth-grade trip, overnight somewhere or something where bedwetting is really preventing your child from doing the activities that he or she loves that's something that i think oh absolutely you know let's try medication at least temporarily so your child can experience yeah because there's there's a psychological element to it and a social 
stigma and, and element to it as well. I also want to, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge that there's a parental stress to this as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your kid is wetting the bed and they wake up at night wanting to get you, now you are up at night or you are having to wash the sheets every day or I, there, there is parental stress that comes with this. And we just want to acknowledge that because... Uh, it is hard and this is an added element that you know you might feel isolated from so i just want to acknowledge that and it's one of those things that every child is different some Mm -hmm. children at seven or eight really are embarrassed by it and want to make a change some kids at nine or ten shrug their shoulders and go "Eh, whatever and honestly about 15 percent of bedwetters each year will just naturally stop and so often the problem does just fix itself Um, but if it is something that's really bothering your child feel free to talk with their doctor about it yeah and in that journey to make it better or to fix it you know if you do have to have those extra layers be sure to celebrate you know find those small milestones those those small victories those small big nights and uh you know and and help them recognize hey you did a great job that night Yeah, I had actually just recently, I had a patient of mine and we're working on using the toilet. He is, like a lot of kids get very scared of sitting on the toilet, especially a big toilet, but parents have, you know, they've done all of the strategies. They have respected his wishes. They um, are not forced him, very sweet, gentle with him. And he's just, you know, type of child that gets a little more nervous about things and came when we talked to the office and I really built up being a big boy and you know going to the bathroom on the potty and I told him we have this uh, kind of texting um, app uh, at our office and I told him if you pee on the potty and your mom can text me and let me know and I'll send you a picture of me and I have this little it, it is a lizard on my stethoscope a lot of children call it a frog because it does kind of look like a frog it's a light <laughs> it's a light a little yeah, like light, light a little frog clip, light, clip on, on, light. Um, on my stethoscope that the kids kind of know me by and I told him that you know I'd send me a picture and he's like even the frog I said yes I said we can have a team name what does our team name want to be he goes team frog so so team frog <laughs> sent him a picture and I um he was so excited as mom told me like when she we had that strategy he went to the bathroom on the toilet and then he got that picture from me and I had sent a little video too and she said it just really made his day and I don't know this just happened maybe this will stick maybe it won't but there's little things like that I think can make a huge difference yeah uh who doesn't like to be celebrated right who doesn't like to have a little bit of recognition that I did a good job especially young kids uh they they like to hear that affirmation even if it's from a frog slash lizard right (laughs) so hope you guys got to hear a little bit more uh, about what is bedwetting you know why it uh, why it exists a bit Jacqueline really did a great job covering some of that and what you can do if it's something that you are facing in your home and understanding that you know it's normal it's normal in a lot of families and a lot of households so you are not alone if this is something that you do face And uh, as always, we want to thank you guys for joining us on another episode of Ed Med Talks. And Jacqueline, wrap us up. There's no such thing as the perfect parent. However, you can be the perfect parent for your child. 